Last week, we talked with a successful and driven businesswoman who is crushing it in the online space. This week, we dive into a conversation with a couple who do nonprofit work in Bangladesh and the unique challenges of cross-cultural work. After over a decade of nonprofit leadership impacting thousands, we hit a wall. We started asking ourselves, how can we go beyond personal success and leave a legacy that lasts far beyond our lifetimes? A job change and a couple of pivots into for-profit leadership later? We're on the search to get that question answered. If you're a leader who cares deeply about supporting nonprofits from the inside or from the outside, this podcast is for you. We believe that the world needs what you are going to leave behind, and it's our passion to help you find that thing and build it. I'm Ted. And I'm Lisa. Welcome to the Legacy Builders Movement. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are really, really excited because the guests that we have are working out in Maiman Singh, Bangladesh, with a nonprofit called New Hope uh, Bangladesh, which they founded. We have Hilton and Amanda Benerjee. And you guys, they have accomplished a ton of stuff, and they have some really, really big goals as well. Currently, they work with street children, uh, and they also support three, uh, two families right now. But what their goal is with these street children is helping them to not have to go to the streets to beg, because that's a real... A thing that happens a lot in their city, a ton actually, and uh, so they're working on supporting these uh, these families, these children, and they're also in the process of building out and starting an education center uh, that's going to help put 200 children through primary school, which is just a huge, huge deal. They've also planted 13 rural churches, and they support those as well. Hilton and Amanda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Thank you for having us. We are very excited to share our story with you guys. Awesome. We're, we're really, really pumped, too. So um, tell us first, first go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about yourselves. Give us a brief backstory because we want to jump in also to the kind of inner workings of what's going on with your nonprofit. But give us a little backstory about who you are and kind of what got you to where you are today. Um, well, it's kind of a love story. <laughs> Ooh. Um, yeah, not not necessarily the type that you're kind of thinking. When I graduated from college, my oldest brother was currently living in Malaysia, and he invited me to come stay with him for the summer. And he said, "Hey, do you want to go to Bangladesh with me?" And I was, I had to Google Bangladesh because I did <laughs> not know where it was. Um, so I was like, yeah, sure. That's next to India. Cool. I've always wanted to go to India. Um, so we came here and I don't even really remember the moment, but there was a time just driving down the road with our group that I just kind of felt like I loved this place. And let me tell you, it does not smell good. It was hot. There were mosquitoes. I got food poisoning the first day I came here and that lasted for like two weeks. But I I just like, I fell in love with this place. And then I met Hilton <laughs> and we, we hung out a little bit, but we started chatting and that, I mean, that's kind of how our relationship started. But I, and I, it's kind of a, a proud thing for me to say sometimes when I tell people like I love Hilton a lot and I love his country I love Bangladesh but I I love Bangladesh more than I love Hilton <laughs> <And> <laughs> sometimes when um I'm talking to him about like why we're here I have to remind him like I'm I'm here whether you're here or not like 
mm. me being here is a separate thing from me being with you. You're like, not you're not just like riding his coattails into Bangladesh. Right. Yeah. And I, I was telling him last night, like, I feel like God rewarded me for falling in love with the place that he gave me to fall in love with by giving me a, a person to love also to share my life with and to share our goals with. So that's kind of how we met. And then when we were talking about getting married and stuff, he, he said, my mom doesn't want me to marry an American because then I might stay in America forever. And I said, no, I want to be in Bangladesh. And his mom said, oh, okay, then you can marry. <laughs> <laughs> So we've been planning from the very beginning of our relationship that we would end up here doing this stuff. So it's amazing that we're finally here and doing it. That's awesome. And Hilton, yeah. kind of from, yeah, from your perspective, what was that like? Because, I mean, you, you grew up in Bangladesh. Like, this is your home country. So what was it like all of a sudden this white girl shows up and you're like, who is this person? <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so, you know, my name is James Hilton Banerjee. But James wasn't really with me until I got the U.S. citizenship. Um, that's a different story. We're not going to go there. But <laughs> I was a project manager when Amanda came to Bangladesh with her elder brother. And I apologize for my English. It's not really great. Even I stayed in America for seven years. <laughs> no, it's <But> great. <laughs> in that point, my accent was bad than this. But... <laughs> If anybody comes in Bangladesh, I was one of the best interpreters. So oh. anywhere there's some foreigners, they need me. Well, for this team, they asked me, can you stay for us with the youth program in the church? I said, well, yeah, probably I can. I just need some permission with my boss. So I stayed and I was very happy to have this team from Malaysia, but I found there's two Americans there. And I thought they're probably the couple, they are married or something. But then I found out, no, they're brother and sister. But I loved the way she was talking. She was like acting some drama thing. And that was very like interesting to me. So I kind of liked this girl. And uh, <laughs> we are not flirting, but it's kind of like, hey, yeah, okay, see you soon. Something like that. I say to her before she, le she left Maimansing uh, and she didn't know she's gonna actually see me again in a different place. That was my workplace, so. By the way, she told about our relationship keep going uh, better. Sometimes it's bitter too, you know, <laughs> but it's all right. Um, I was working with Ben Jade, with She's a um, New Zealand Baptist Ottawa Church program in Bangladesh with Baptist Aid. And we had 13 schools. So I had the heart for the kids to help kind of stuff. And she said that my mom did not want me to leave Bangladesh. And my heart was in Bangladesh too. But the problem was she's American and she might not want to come. So I was afraid to tell her like, hey, this is the situation. But I was so happy when she said, no, that's not a problem because I want to live in Bangladesh. Then I was like, oh, yeah, that's perfect then. Then <laughs> this is the arts match and we can get married. Then I went to America and we started our organization called New Hope 
Bangladesh. That's <clears throat> that's awesome. I love your story, especially Amanda. You talking about going from being an American with basically no experience of what life is like in another country, and then having your mindset radically expanded. I think that's so important for people to to experience what's actually going on in the world and to dig in and actually see what sets their heart on fire. Because a lot of people walk around feeling kind of purposeless, and it's a, it's a journey figuring out what is actually going to get me going. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to ask, uh, you said, Hilton, that you were in America for seven years. Uh, New Hope BD is not that old. So knowing that you were going to be back, what was it like in the meantime? I think a lot of times we kind of know where we want to be. We don't always get to start going there right away. Uh, What was that like for both of you as you were just kind of waiting for a season and doing groundwork and all of that? Exactly. We had the like vision. We want to do something for God. Like which way we are praying for it. And we got married in 2013, the year I was in America. Um, in 2014, we were talking about it. And we wanted to visit Bangladesh also because my mom and dad, they did not see us for a long time. Um, so when we came back to Bangladesh, we started the ministry all of a sudden. Like, um, hmm. yeah, God wants to do something. And that was the winter. And you know, in winter, Bangladeshi people, they live in the train station, bus station, without pretty much any blanket. Mm. So we decided to buy some blankets for them and some clothes. In the meantime, when we came, uh, we brought some children's clothes too. We got some donation from the church and friends, and we brought them to Bangladesh and we distributed to the places they need. And that was our start. And we went back to uh, America and we were thinking about it more. What can we do in the future? So then we started the daycare program from 2017. And finally we moved in Bangladesh the last November of 2019. So all along you were you had stuff that you were doing even from having kind of having your home base here in the states. Yeah. But you were you were figuring out how to start with what you could, when you could, like as soon as you could, right? You're you're yeah. trying to say like yeah. this is we're in the waiting period, but we don't have to wait until we're there to make an impact. I love it. Right. right. Well, I mean our our like end goal is to have <laughs> I'd love to have like all the way through high school and ECFE programs like programs for infants, mothers, you know, places where women who have no access to medical help can go get medical help. We have family members that are medical doctors, nurses, like we have these people, but there's it's so big that there's no way that like we could have started all of that like Hmm. in a week you know but we started by building those relationships and we had we two bags each that we could bring on the airplane with us and we stuffed four suitcases full of clothes to donate and then our own clothes for the trip we had just had in our carry-on so we filled our suitcases with clothes because 
a lot of times people anywhere, especially in America, they want to give stuff like what can I buy for you to bring with you? And it's like that you want to see what it is you're you're buying. Yeah. Or I have these clothes, like I, I don't have the money to give you to buy them clothes, but I have these clothes that I don't need anymore. So do you need these clothes? And that's all amazing. And so even if we didn't always have funding from people, we have people that want to support us in whatever way they can. So we were able to bring clothes and we brought all those down to like the, the slum neighborhoods and right away, I don't even remember when we decided that we wanted to start the daycare. It was probably our second, no, our second trip here, we started it. We, I don't think we were planning on actually starting it. And then someone gave us like $5,000 and like two weeks before we came and we were able to like pay the rent, pay the deposits, like do everything we needed to for this daycare area. So we were like coming to Bangladesh to scope out a good location. And then before we came, we found ourselves with the funds to open it. So we're like, this is awesome. And every time we would leave to go back to the States because at the time Hilton only had his green card. So we could only be gone for six months at a time. It was terrible. I, I, I don't want to say I hated it, but it was like, I felt so stuck. Like, uh, I just want to be in Bangladesh <laughs> doing what I want to be doing. Not even what I want to be doing, but like, I know God has put it there for me and I, I'm stuck in America. But <laughs> I, I knew that, um, that when Hilton got his citizenship, that basically he became a citizen so that we could leave the country. <laughs> 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 that's awesome though. I mean you know that that spot of being stuck in that challenge of knowing that you want to accomplish more and you're you you have that drive inside of you but you're not able to like already be in the fray of it is painful like it's it's hard and it sucks because you want to you know that you have this drive to really help somebody and you're like I could just I could do more if and I think I mean, it makes me think of like a, of Schindler's List at the end of Schindler's List when he's got the I don't know if you guys remember or, or Hilton if you've even seen the movie it's a incredible movie it's really uh, sad it's, but yeah but anyway it's it's, he Netflix, uh, so Robert him. Robert Schindler was a guy who helped um, Jewish people in the middle of uh, World War II who were being sent to concentration camps he actually found a way to work through the government to help uh, the people, especially children, to get out of the concentration camps by hiring them to his business. Um, and at the end of the, like at the end of the movie, you see, and he's he's like a German national guy, um, but he like developed a heart for the Jews who were you know being killed. Um, but anyway, at the end of the movie, he's like almost distressed, even though he's accomplished so many great things. He sees all the need that he wasn't able to fill, and he has a little like pin on his shirt. And he's looking at the pin. And he's like, "If I would have just sold this pin, I could have helped one more." And it's like that—that that feeling is painful, but that's also what drives uh, nonprofit leaders and and for-profit leaders, honestly, to want to be able to make an impact in the world. It's like, what's the one that I could help? 
Mm-hmm. And from hearing your story, it's really cool too because <laughs> you have this vision to be able to help a lot of people, but you're starting by helping the one that's in front of you. And yeah. uh, from a conversation that we've had before, I'd love for you to kind of go into it. Talk a little bit about the need and like how great it is because just like you, you know, when you graduated college, you didn't know much about Bangladesh. <laughs> you said you had to like Google it. People don't necessarily know what's going on with the with the problems there as far as like the kids and in the street and all that stuff. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, uh, I'll talk a little bit about it first and then Hilton can share kind of his experience with it on his own. But so the thing about Bangladesh is there's kids everywhere and you see there's so many people here that when you see a percentage sometimes you're like oh well that's a pretty small percent but it's like millions of kids that are not in school and not just not in school when they're not in school they're they're working or like seven-year-olds are welding wow or cutting metal or and then those are usually boys that you see girls you don't really see so much because they kind of hide them in housework where most low-income women work they're they're like housekeepers and housekeepers are like everybody has a housekeeper unless you are a housekeeper in Bangladesh it's something seen as if you have the money to pay someone it's almost rude not to have a housekeeper because you are depriving someone of an income mm-hmm. and why why would you cook your own food when you can afford to pay someone to cook for you and it's not that expensive so these people are making what is a honestly a laughable income in America and they're doing so much work and me i want to pay them more but i almost you know i can't because then they would i don't even know i i don't know (laughs) i don't i it would be like in america working at mcdonald's and then having one employee that you pay like a hundred thousand dollars a year like you wouldn't do that (laughs) And so I, we do pay our our nannies. I call them nannies because they are definitely the caretaker of our three children. Um, the caretakers. We have two. They work together, um, but we we pay them generously. But yeah, you don't want it to I, be a slap in the face to the other people that they know who right. are in the houseworking industry. Yeah. Right. Right. And. I want to make sure that they have enough money to send home to their families because that's why they're working. They're they're not working because it's fun. They're working because, you know, they have this opportunity and we want to be able to open up more opportunities for people. So when we started our daycare, I wanted to make sure that we hired a teacher that needed a job that was from like the same community of the families that we were trying to reach the cook that we hired. I wanted to make sure that she was from that same community too, because I, it's not just about helping the kids. It's about opening opportunities for adults to, to get their families out 
of the slums, out of being homeless, out of poverty. I don't want to just be handing them things all the time. I want to help the kids set a solid foundation so that maybe their future is not going to be the same as their parents and hopefully get some of these parents into a situation where they're like, hey, you know what, now we can afford rent in an actual building. We don't have to have a dirt floor that floods every summer. Yeah. I don't know if that answered your question. (laughs) No, that's huge. I love what you said is if you have the money to provide a job, why wouldn't you? Um, And I think especially because we're talking about something cross culture is people in America have it in their mind. Why would I pay someone when I can do it myself? Forgetting that sometimes an act of generosity is providing jobs and income for people. Um, And with what you said, too, like you don't want to overpay someone partly because you don't want to cause issues, partly because you want to treat them really well and generous. But you also have to remember, and I know this is going through your head, too, is we can be generous with someone and then also still have money to provide a second job for someone else and kind of find that balance. Um, I do want to ask for you, Hilton, because you obviously grew up (laughs) there. Uh, You grew up in the culture. Uh, What do you see when people who are from outside Bangladesh come in and try to make an impact? Because Amanda was like, we need to hire people who are from here, hire people who understand things. Like, what have you seen in the past working with other nonprofits who are honestly trying their best, um, but maybe things that they could be doing a little bit better in terms of utilizing people who are from the area? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I want to add something after Amanda said about yeah, Bangladesh. Yeah, for sure. The problem, our main problem is people. We have too many people. I can give the listeners a better picture about it. Bangladesh is not a big country. It's smaller. It's the same size of Iowa. So it's a little tiny country. And the population is... 165 million Whoa. so that is like pretty much half of the total population of united states and that's living in iowa so i was telling in minnesota just picture this bangladesh is like a little bit uh like small i can say it's like half of minnesota so think all the people of the United States <laughs> living in Minnesota. So you will have problem. You will cause traffic jam. You cannot handle those things. You will have too many kids. They need education. Like those are the main problem. So mm. that's why there's so many kids are begging. And the problem for us to identify the problem because we are so much stuck into it. So we don't see it's a problem mm. when we have a garbage bag and there's nowhere to put it in. So we just throw on the floor on the road and somebody picks it up or it goes to the drain and it causes another clog. So we have flood, like those kind of stuff, it happened. But when Amanda sees it, like, oh, no, no, you cannot throw garbage on the ground. And no one going to listen to it because they don't <laughs> see that, you know, that kind of stuff. But. There's another problem with some foreigners come to Bangladesh. If you want to change the entire culture, you can't do that. That's like, no, no, no. We are doing this for a long time. They don't want to change. But 
there's a way to uh, like express yourself in a different way. Like, should you do that actually? You're doing it, but maybe that's not good. Then they kind of try to understand. And that's the way we are going to do it. Not telling somebody, no, mm. that is wrong. There's nothing wrong or right in this cultural problem, you know? Mm -hmm. So we are kind of trying to handle it in a different way sometimes. Yeah, cultural sensitivity is really important <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> but um, especially as an outsider, I when I every time I come here again from the United States, I go through culture shock it's different every time but there's always like a, a period of time where i have like intense anger towards mm. people in general usually adults because the kids that do the same things that would an adult would bother me like they're being taught by the adults that that's okay but just trying not to be offended, but then still being offended. Because if I did the same thing to a Bangladeshi in America, it would be terrible. But they do all of that to each other. So just kind of like getting through that period is a struggle sometimes of like mm -hmm. going from, okay, I love this place and I love everything about this place except for these things. And I want <laughs> to try to change these things, but there's people everywhere that you're not going to be friends with. Now, so. I, I think you bring up a good point that's really good for all of our listens, listeners to think through. Whether you're running a nonprofit or a for-profit, it's so important that the people that you are trying to bring into your vision and help, and, and help, you have to meet them where they are and then, and, and then yeah. take them on a journey rather than just assume they know everything you know, that they've experienced everything you've experienced, especially, and we can see it just from listening to these guys talk, it's like there's a really big difference when you start to go overseas to different countries and cultures. You can't just start from a, like an, a basic assumption point that, like you, like you said, you don't throw garbage on the ground. That's just, that's a thing that they've been doing forever. So it's not really... There's nowhere right else to put it. Right. Well, hey, uh, I have a question for you here uh, that I'm, I'm really curious to hear your answer. As, as a nonprofit right now, and you guys are a few years in, and you're doing the work, what do you find is the biggest struggle or challenge for you in your unique situation? Um, definitely along the lines of funding i would say that like because i have such because we both have such intense love for this place it's kind of communicating that with people and making people understand why it's so important to support i mean not not just us but people who are doing things like we are doing and so I think that's that's been one of the hardest parts is kind of like, oh, well, we, we don't have enough money for that. But something that I've told Hilton too, is I said, you know what, don't ever feel bad about not getting money from someone, anyone, because God gave us this vision. And because God gave us this vision, he, it's, it's his job to give other people the vision that 
to support us, you know, Mm. but because it's God's vision for me, I have always had the, the feeling of, okay, it's God gave it to me. So if there is no money for something, but I have that money, then it's my responsibility because God's telling me to do it. He's not telling me to tell you to do it. He told me to do it. So I'm going to do it. And if God tells you to help me do it, then that's up to you or that's between I mean, the general you the, that's between <laughs> another person and you know them listening to yeah. their own heart or god or i know not everybody that listens is a christian but um you know just like your own calling or your own feeling towards mm-hmm. people because I mean, that's the only way I can really say it is like, it's, it's my calling. And so sometimes we've gotten down on like, oh man, you know, if we, if we had full funding, then this much of our paycheck of my, my, our personal income wouldn't have to go into this. But I mean, we've given so much of our own personal time and money and that, I mean, just being the leaders of this organization is a form of worship for us because we give so much of ourselves and it's, it's amazing. Like, and then we get to experience the love and smiles and happiness and joy from all these people that we're able to help. And that's, that's where it is. Mm-hmm. And Oh yeah. I was going to ask Hilton, what okay. do you have to say? <laughs> all right, yeah. So um, I think, like to fulfill our vision, it's sometimes kind of hard to do that. Like our vision is, yeah, we want to preach to everybody. That's what Jesus called us to do. But in Bangladeshi perspective or by the situation, we really can't do that. That is a like big barrier. We want to preach to Muslims. We want to preach to Hindus. But right now we are just preaching to the Hindus only. Because if we go to the Muslims and we baptize them, uh, the next day, what happened? They might kill us. Like, that happened many times. So that is terrible. We really want to do that, but we can't. But we pray for that. God will help the situation so we can build more churches. Like, if we would be able to preach to everybody, our church ministry would grow like double already in the last three years we had 13 churches so now it would be 26 or Mm. like 30 something like that more because we have to go out to rural places when you think about all of the people in america living in minnesota yeah there are still rural places where you can look (laughs) and there's fields for miles that's how many people live in the cities (laughs) (laughs) yeah so yeah, the the that big challenge because you have you have barriers to funding, but then you also have uh, cultural barriers, which is a big one. Religious, but then yeah. religious and government barriers, like you said, like you're just there. There are things that you're just not allowed to do. Mm-hmm. Well, like technically, Bangladesh has freedom of religion, and we are allowed to preach to Muslims. Muslims are allowed to become Christians, but if any Muslim's family finds out that someone from their family 
was converted by us, we would become a target. Our children would become a target. Our family would become a target. So it's allowed. It just is extremely dangerous. Hmm. That's interesting. And then you got to make a choice. And that makes it really hard. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So we, so we build relationships with Muslims. That's, that's all we really can do. Show them Jesus. And if they have questions, they can come to us or they can, you know, just be Jesus to them rather than tell them that to get these things, they have to believe in Jesus. Yeah. I don't believe in that at all. Like I will help (laughs) anybody. I will be Jesus to anybody, but um, talking about Jesus is, is a sensitive topic. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, that goes back to the idea. If you want someone to care about what you know about, they first have to know that you care about them. Mm-hmm. Like starting right. with that relationship and that's anywhere cross cultural or your neighbor next door um, before you can really do anything else. You have to start by building that relationship, showing them you care. And the, one of the best ways to show people you care is by meeting their needs and actually showing them like, hey, I care about your physical well-being. I care about your education. I care about your future. I care about actually investing time and resources into you as an individual and, and then as kids. a culture. Yeah. Yeah. Into your kids. Well, we got to start wrapping up. I have a kind of final question I'd like you both to answer. Uh, What does the idea of leaving a legacy mean to you? Uh, To me, it's actually, I feel like God actually gave us so many talents. Sometimes it could be wealth. Sometimes it could be some um, thing you don't deserve. Or sometimes he just given you. Um, I feel like we have to give it to somebody else in the future so they can have that thing. Like right now, maybe I have some money, but if I don't give it to some people or my children or something, they would be poor. So God doesn't want them to be poor and I die, you know. So I have (laughs) to just transfer it to them. That's pretty much my sense to thinking about it. Um, so I feel like if I can give everything, I will give everything before I am gone kind of thing. Hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I feel the same way. I think my goal, my, the legacy that I really want to leave in this place is like, I want there to be a point in time that people can refer to as like before Amanda and Hilton and after them and not have it be like about us, but like, remember what Maimon Singh was like before New Hope Bangladesh and like, look at all these things that are different now and not in ways that like we changed people's behaviors or actions, but just in like, like, the number of people that graduate from college in like 50 years, a hundred years. Like I want it to be like a specific point in time that you can see like, wow. Yeah. That made an impact and it has changed and has continued to change. Even if we're no longer here, like I want to be able to change the minds of the people that think that they are not worth anything 
Hmm. and making them realize that they are indeed worth everything and to pass that on to their kids too rather than like right now the kids are being taught that they're not worth anything there's a song that these kids sing and we shared a video about it. I'll, I'll send it to you after we're done but they sing about like we're the flowers that get stomped on the ground we're oh. everywhere like yeah they, and it's like a beautiful song and these little like street kids are singing about how they're nothing hmm. and it's gonna make me cry right now but <laughs> they 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 really believe that they're nothing hmm. and i i want them to grow up knowing that they are not nothing hmm. and that when they have kids they teach their kids that they're, they're not nothing and that they have potential and that they can do all these things. So I don't, I don't ever want it to stop. I just wanted to snowball and become something where like education isn't a problem in Bangladesh. Kids go to school. It's not even a question. Like in America, like you don't have that issue of like, oh, well, are these kids in school? Like, no, if you see a kid <laughs> at Target, either he's truant or he's sick, you know, like, <laughs> You and something else I wanted to say really quick. So that's what leaving a legacy means to me. <laughs> but um, I wanted to mention something. You see, you see kids begging. You see like eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, and then you see like twelve-year-old boys. You don't see twelve, thirteen, fourteen-year-old girls. Hmm. They're not begging anymore. And that's something that really bothers me. They are locked up. They're on drugs. They're being sold for sex. And that mm. is something that when I walk around downtown and I see these younger kids and these older boys, I think like, oh my God, where are the girls? Mm. But I mean, that's a, a whole other topic, but just but it, it rolls all those kinds of things. There. Yeah, I, yeah. I love I love your answer, Amanda, about legacy, because I think what you're, you're saying is you want to be at the center of the turning point. Yeah. And I think that's what everybody who's listening, really, when we're, we're building a legacy, we really want to be at the center of a turning point for our families. We want to be at the center of a turning point for uh, the nonprofits that we're helping to build. We want to be at the center of a turning point in the world and for people to look back and say, man, I don't know what happened necessarily during that time, but that's when everything changed. Mm -hmm. And And like you said, it doesn't have to be about us. We just want to say be able to say like we were there and we were helping to make that happen um wow this has been a fantastic interview we've got a little bit longer but it's been really really interesting so thank you guys for being with us where can our visitors or listeners uh learn more about you guys our website is just newhopebd.com facebook page just facebook backslash newhopebd instagram newhopebd uh, I don't think we have a Twitter. I haven't used Twitter since college. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I do not want to visit my Twitter feed. There's probably terrible things there. <laughs> not sharing my Twitter handle. And by the <laughs> way, if anybody wants to find us on Facebook, it's James Hilton Banerjee and Amanda Loy Banerjee. Yeah. So they can find us. And I want to give you guys really thanks. Ted and Lisa, you guys are doing an amazing job. And thank you to give us this opportunity to talk in your podcast. 
Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on. Uh, everyone, all those links and where to find uh, New Hope BD will be in the show notes. So if you're interested in learning more, uh, learning about uh, Mandan Hilton or giving to the organization, you'll have all the information there. Thank you so much for being with us today, guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone. Stay tuned for next episode where we talk to an author, speaker, and fundraising expert about how to ask for donations without begging. If you want to build the tallest building, don't start building at the first floor. Your legacy needs a strong foundation, and our financial class is here to help. Use promo code 2020 for 50% off. You'll get six months of access to this inspiring overhaul of your finances to build a lasting legacy. Visit LegacyBuildersInternational.com slash courses for more info. That's LegacyBuildersIntl.com slash courses and use promo code 2020 by December 31st. Thanks for listening to the Legacy Builders Movement. If you appreciate this podcast and find that it's valuable, the best way that you could help us is to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. To learn more about Legacy Builders, go to LegacyBuildersInternational.com. That's LegacyBuildersIntl.com.